Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. This particular series, we focus on our word for the year, which is outside. We're going to hit all kinds of ideas and directions from that perspective. I hope you enjoy. You know, I I think of this moving deeply, um, powerful, extravagant love that God has for us ought to have us in some place of is discomfort the right word? Hey, think about this. How uncomfortable it was when that first time that you had to bow your will and your way for the other person. Think about that. And having to uh, compromise or not even compromise, but just flip and give up. Because <laughs> there was no, one half was not compromising. So, um, but those things that we do in the, the, the element of being uncomfortable. Um, Last week, we started a series called Outside. Outside is actually the word that I believe God has given us for this church. And um, the thing that about that word outside, it seems very unspiritual. I've had words uh, the first year that we were here, there was this word unprecedented. That seems really cool, right? God was going to do a new thing. That seems to be fitting for a new church, right? Uh, But the the idea behind that is he was going to do something that had never been done before, and I believe that word hasn't changed for the church and our mission and the way we're doing things, Um, but then year two, this word came along, and I was, honestly, I fought it. I fought it a lot in this word called manifestation, because a couple things, we were a new church, still are, Uh, there was a few more people in the room this time last year than there are this time this year uh, due to sicknesses and uh, losses of uh, friends, family members, and things like that, and circumstances that are going on, um, but, but when, I, when I looked at that word, I was like, manifestation, that's a weird kind of, oh, I might run some people off kind of word, and I was like, I don't want to run anybody off, I want them to come and be part of, and Abigail, I want to be engaged in what we're doing here, and so, um, but God gave us that word, and, and he gave us a, a one, I believe he gave us two promises, one was fulfilled last year, and that was the manifestation of a worship leader. And uh, I, I'm looking at a room of people that are impacted by Alana being here. Uh, the, no one else would be here today if it wasn't for Alana being in the room at the moment. I'd be preaching to Abigail, literally just Abigail today. Um, so uh, the, the impact there, and, and so God manifested, and there were some things that he did in our lives, and, and I can think of several of the families. Again, I don't mean to be pointing that no one's here, but to some that are, are absent today that I've seen God manifest himself in their lives to demonstrate who he is, and that's been Really cool. So we've got these really awesome, uh, kind of these audacious dreams beyond the words that he would do something different, uh, uh, unprecedented, that he would manifest. And then this year he sits me down and he says, outside. And we're going to go camping? What, God? <laughs> what are you going to do with me this year? What are you going to do with this church? Are we going to go um, hunting? We can do that. Uh, and I felt like there was so much to that word outside. And if you look at the graphic Abigail's put up there, um, and there should be a light scheme that goes with this, just for what it's worth, because I'm all about lights. Um, anyway, uh, see the graphic looks so much better, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, this outside, and I don't know if you can see that it's not inside something, it's outside in this box. And we talked about stepping outside of a box, this preconceived idea of how things should be. But today, I'm going to talk about outside or stepping outside our comfort zone. 
And Alana's going to help me with that here in just a minute as well. And I'm excited to see her step into the next level of the calling and ministry upon her life. And you all get to be a witness of that, and that's cool. But before we get that, get there, I want to look at this word comfort for just a minute. Now, we like comfort, right? When we came into the room, it was cold. And now it's hot. My upper lip is sweating. Um, it was hotter up on the stage than it is down here. But um, anyway, we, we want to be comfortable. Uh, that's a, an issue, so to speak, that I think the American church has, is if I'm not comfortable, I'm not staying. Um, but you can go to Africa. I sat in a, in a church in um, El Salvador, El Salvador, in this um, town called, um, see, I remember it so well. Anyway, this outskirts of, of San Salvador, it is the hub. It's a small village-type town that, Iquilisco is the name. There, I knew it would come to me. It's a small town that, that uh, in the very center is the church, but actually the very center is that's where all the gang lords live and keep their baby mamas. And if you can imagine driving out to this church where um, we were very, very, very specifically told, do not be on the road after dark. It will not be safe for you. We've driven there and we've sat in this room that's uh, it's really about half the size of the room we're sitting in today, open windows, very little, just enough electricity so we could have a guitar player play and lead us in some worship, and dirt floors, harder chairs than, if you can imagine, metal chairs are more uncomfortable than these plastic chairs. Uh, children running like crazy all over the room, and it was nothing but women and babies. But they came. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't in a place of comfort. And I, I kind of want to, I'm not interested today in saying, we're going to rip everything out and make this place hot or cold whenever it's the opposite. Or what. We're, no, I'm not interested in, in that. But what, what if in this realm of comfort, God is saying, step out of what you think you should do into what I've called you to do? Webster defines one of the, one of the multiple definitions of comfort. He put it as a contented well-being, contentment. Contentment can be fabulous. Paul talks about I've learned to be content in whatever stage I'm in. I've been poor and I've had, but one thing I've learned to be. I've learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ. And and this idea that okay, contentment's nice. We preached last year on a series about restlessness and that we weren't, God didn't want us to be restless. He wanted us to find rest in Him, that restlessness causes us to complain. It causes us to, 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 um, need to find something greater than really what's already being provided for us by Him. So contentment's not bad, but yet in the context today, we're going to talk about an area of comfort that needs to be addressed. So in Luke chapter 18, and just 18 verses 18 through 30, it says this, and we'll see it up on the screen. It opens with, and a ruler asked him, talking to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's a question every one of us wants an answer to. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I love that uh, in our context of being a believer and loving on Jesus, is we, the moment we said yes to Jesus, we stepped into eternity. And I love that because we become citizens of heaven and, and really just occupiers of earth and, and some neat things that go with that. But, he, but that's not the message today. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19 says, well, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. There's this idea that maybe Jesus is pushing this ruler, this young man, to, to have a revelation of who he's really talking to. Is he probing him to say, did you speak what you spoke based on uh, trying to, to get favor, or did you speak to me based on revelation of who I am? He says, no one is good except God. Jesus is also uh, kind of making a point of who he is. He's kind of saying, no one's good but God, and you call me good. Not an arrogant way like I just did it. But I'm just saying, he, he's, he's got that. So moving on in verse 20, it goes on and he says, you know the commandments. We know, we've, we've seen them. We've seen them written on uh, courthouse walls and, and taught in schools, believe it or not. They still kind of somewhat do that. He says, you know the commandments. He says, do not commit adultery. All right, I'm good there. Do not murder. Well, I think I'm good there. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And continuing on. The ruler, the young man, he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Good job. Right? Great. You did it. All of these things I've kept from my youth. In 22, Jesus heard this. He said to him, one thing you still lack. Wait a minute. You're adding, have you ever changed the rules to a game as you're going on the game? Like, hey, I'm going to make a new rule. Uno is the best game to change rules on, right? So I'm going to make a new rule today. And that's kind of what Jesus has done. He says, you've, you've kept the commandments. Keep the commandments. What must I do um, to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. Well, I've done those. Well, apparently, Jesus is seeing something about this man that he hasn't stepped into eternal life yet. So he says this. He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. He's asking us to follow him, maybe not necessarily selling everything that we have. I don't even think that that was the significant thing. The, the, the climax of this conversation is simply come follow me. He presents himself in the room today and online. We've got a live stream going right now and I'll publish a podcast of this later in the week. Uh, he, he's saying to all of us, come Follow me. Come, follow me. What is so hard about that? Why is it that it is so hard to step away from our way of thinking, our way of being, step away from our our current lifestyle and step into a lifestyle of following? Why is that so hard? I believe I said last week that the most that, that following Jesus is not binding, it's liberating. It's not bondage, but freedom. And this man had a hard time getting past these because he, he says in verse 23, but when he heard those, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. I think it was known that this Jesus had no home, no place to lay his head. He was a nomad, a wanderer. He never knew where he was going to be from day to day. He was... In essence, wearing out his sandals that seem like on a weekly basis, having to go and get a new pair of sandals. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. I can just assume he was walking so much. I walk across the room and my feet hurt. I digress. That has nothing to do with this. But anyway, we've got this very sad moment. He looked at the life of Jesus and he's like, I can't give up the life of rich young ruler. We oftentimes look at the 
life of Jesus. I look at the life of Jesus and more importantly, the life in which he's called me to. And oftentimes I say, but I cannot give up. It may not be wealth because we're not rich. What is it? What can I not give up? Maybe it's, it is a job. Maybe it's relationships and friendships. Maybe it's a, a lifestyle. Maybe it's, there's so much more. And Jesus said, having seen this in verse 24, says he became very sad. He became very sad. I think he looks at us and when we reject the life that he's called us to, which I promise is so much better than life we've called ourselves to. We look at that and or he looks at us and he's sad in a loving kind of way. I, I don't, he doesn't feel sorry for us, but he wants so much more for us. Jesus says that how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Just for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I could expand on that in great detail today. I'm not going to because uh, there's a lot to get through. And in verse 26, those who heard this says, who can be saved? So this progression, this conversation, what must I do to in, 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 uh, inherit eternal life? I'll get that word out in just a second. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I've done that. Okay, great. Give up everything. Come, follow me. The, the thing about following him is he makes us new. The Bible's very clear that in him we are new, a new creation. The, the Bible says the old things have been done away. Behold, all things have become new. So following him isn't necessarily giving up the wealth, even though that's what he asked this man to do. Following him isn't about a set of routine or uh, rules and, and traditions. Following him is simply saying, I step into the new realm that you've called me to. I step away from the old man, the old way, the old junk, that stuff that uh, tore me down, brought me down, never brought fruitful life in me. And I step into the fruitful life that you have for me. Peter said, well, we've left homes and we followed you. And he says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come eternal life. So thankful that eternal life, though, that we read in Scripture isn't about what I do. It's about what he did. But I can never, ever step into the gift, the free gift of salvation, until I step into the follow. I can't be saved and not follow Jesus. I can't inherit eternal life and follow my old ways. I have got to have a transition of following him. Again, it's not about rules and routines. He didn't save me because I follow him. I follow him because he saved me. And that's the, that's the true fruit of salvation and my life and our lives. And so that seems to be a calling to get out of a comfort zone, doesn't it? A calling to step out of yourself, a calling to step out of what seems to be what should be easy into him. He told us, though, that his burden was very light. His yoke was easy. In order to find new depths and levels in God, you have to leave where you are currently in order to move to where God wants you to be. You have to leave something. You have to leave behind something in order to step into what God's called you to be. 
There, there is a leaving behind. When a woman and a man get married, the Bible addresses that he leaves and then he cleaves, he, he, he develops within that context of marriage. We are considered the bride of Christ, expected to be one day united with him as our groom. There is this leaving and this cleaving. There is this move away from where you currently are in order to move where God wants you to be. We've got to tear some things down first. We've got to destroy some things. We've got to deal with the current life that we're in. And that uh, leaves me, oops, just sitting down and letting Alana talk for a few minutes. this out. Well, as I'm sitting here, I'm just finding it really fitting that we didn't really have a, a moment where we decided there was going to be a transition between Jeff and me. And this is the moment that God clearly put on his heart to do this. Um, rich young, the rich young ruler is not in my notes, but it's a part of the story. So We're going to come back to that. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So I have a question rather a two-part question to pose today. What is an idol, and how is comfort an idol? Quick thing about the rich young ruler, when Jesus said that the commandments of the past, have you kept these? And the rich young ruler said, yeah, I have. Jesus left one out. This one right here. This is the same passage of scripture that Jesus took this from. Anyways, So for the first part of the question, idols are things that we put on the throats of our lives when we remove God from it. So hold on just a second. I brought props, y'all. So this is my little throne, the throne of my life. And when my life is right, God is sitting on it. And that's the center of everything. But sometimes we put things ahead of God. We say, you know what, God? I think I know better in this area, so I'm just going just gonna to put you right over here. It's where you belong right now. And I'm going to put this thing that I hold very dear to me on the throne. And it's comfort. An idol is an object of extreme devotion or a representation or symbol of an object of worship. And I'm going to share a little bit of my story and how for a while I was worshiping comfort, not God. Idol worship or idolatry is a sin that is so easy to become entangled with because it's easy to hide. It's not something 
that the world sees when you're, you know, in the club every night doing your thing and, and you put that in your life instead of God, it's, it's easy for the world to tell, you know, when you're not in church and you're not doing what God has called you to, you're not living in the life that God has for you. It's easy for the world to see that. But there are these little idols that are really easy to hide from the world. Or we can go to church on Sunday and we can raise our hands and say, oh, God is good. I love Jesus. Oh, this is great. And I'm going to go home and I'm not going to let anything change me. And I'm just going to keep living my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul begins this letter to the church at Corinth by calling God the Father, the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, through four, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As I've already said, in my life I created an idol of comfort. I had taken Jesus off the throne, I had placed my comfort and what I thought was sanity in his rightful place. But Matthew chapter 6, verses, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be voted, devoted to one and despise the other. This is, where, this is where my story starts. February 2019, I came up, in the end of the month, came up to visit my best sister friend, that's what I call her, um, and her family. And about a week before I came up, she was like, hey, bring your guitar. Our pastor, he like does everything himself. He needs a break. It's been like a year. He's doing worship and preaching and doing all the things by himself. He needs a break. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. So I'm driving from Oklahoma to Texas, and I cross the border from Oklahoma to Texas, and I hear this small voice, audibly, but it's small and I was able to deny it if I wanted to. You're going to be their worship leader. <laughs> what? No. We weren't talking about that. I have been awake since 6 a.m. I do not like waking up that early. I am delusional. It's like 10. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm over it. I didn't hear what I heard. I heard what I heard, y'all. So on a Wednesday night at Jeff and Vanessa's house, I lead worship with Jeff. And Vanessa, being Vanessa, is like, hey, so when are you moving to Oklahoma? I was like, ha funny. So then out of that came this conversation. It wasn't an offer of any sort. It was just a, hey, pray about it. I'll pray about it. You pray about it. Let's just see what God wants to do. And I was like, you know, okay, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. It's a really good fake answer. <laughs> so before I left, I told Kayla, I was like, okay. So I had this moment where I really felt like the Lord told me I was going to move up here and be their worship leader. And then now we're talking about it and that's weird. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it, but I'm afraid that I'm going to go home and I'm going to get comfortable. I'm going to go home and I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go back to my church and I'm going to go back to my parents and my everyday friends and I'm going to get comfortable. 
So guess what happened? I went home to my parents and my job and my home church and my everyday friends, and I got comfortable. And for a month, I kept denying it. At every turn, the Lord was like, hey, remember that thing? And I was like, no. <laughs> what? What thing? No, nothing. Nothing. You said nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. For a month. And I had gotten to this breaking point in my life. I was over my job. I was over my friends. I was, I was getting uncomfortable. I was getting uncomfortable in what I had worked so hard to create a comfort in. It's a funny thing about when we create comfort on our own, it doesn't really work out for us. There's this, this one Sunday, seemed like a Sunday of any normal Sunday. I went to church. Worship was great. Music was great. Preaching was great. My friends were great. I looked great. But I was just kind of wrecked. And after, after the service, I just, I got on my knees and I was like, Lord, I want you to make what you want me to do so clear that if I run away from it, that the people around me will see it and call me out. That's a big, bold prayer. It's very specific. And sometimes I regret that prayer. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't really regret it. Don't freak out, Jeff. But not 20 minutes later, after I got up off my knees and I got in the car and I left church and I was driving to lunch, did I get a phone call from Jeff? FaceTime, actually, so I'm driving. It's FaceTime. It's like in my little like car phone holder. And Jeff's like, hey, so on Monday this week, I was praying, and I was praying for you, and the Lord gave me a word for you, but I haven't had a chance to like share it with you, but I feel like I'm supposed to share it right now. And I was like, hmm, fun, cool. God moves quick, y'all. And he said to me, I feel like the Lord told me that when you're faced with a decision, you tend to run from it. But God wants you to run straight to it. And I don't want to influence you in any way. So I'd like, we're going to leave it there. And I'm just going to let you chew on that. So I chewed on it all night long. And I didn't sleep. And I went to work the next day. And I was like, you know, I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm going I'm to apply for some jobs in Oklahoma. And if I get a job in Oklahoma, then I'll go, right? I'm going to be like Gideon, put out some fleece and see what God does. You know, I probably applied for 15 jobs on that Monday. But that night I went to my young adults group um, that was at the time led by my Texas pastor, Greg. And I hadn't really told anybody about any of this for the last month because I was comfortable and I didn't want anybody to know about it because I didn't want them to encourage me to do what God was calling me to do. It's amazing what happens when you get yourself around people who will encourage you to do what God has called you to do. That is an entirely different message, but I'm just going to throw that one in there for free. So I sat down with Greg and I said, hey, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? He was like, yeah, sure. Come sit down. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, so I kind of have this like, opportunity to like move away and be a worship leader and 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do because at the time I was I was either moving to Oklahoma or I was going to stay home and I was going to open my own salon because I was over working at the salon that I worked in. I loved the people that I worked with, but I didn't love the environment. So I was, I was, I was between a rock and a hard place here. Either thing requires some action. And I was like, I just, I don't know what to do, Greg. I'm just having a hard time figuring this out. And he was like, well, what's it going to hurt if you go? Like, are you, like, are you not allowed to go come back home if it doesn't work out? I was like, well, no. It's, my parents were like, that's what God wants you to do. Go. And then if you need to come back, then you come back. Like, that's just what we do. And that kind of hit me. What's it going to hurt? He didn't give me an answer. He didn't say anything other than, it's going to hurt if you go. In the grand scheme of things, nothing. Except for maybe my pride, which I struggle with anyway, so wouldn't be a bad thing. So that night as we have our time of worship and then our discussion amongst our young adults, this passage in Luke 18 is something that we talk about where Jesus tells the rich young ruler to sell all of his things and follow him. And the question was posed, what is that thing that's in the way of you surrendering to God or reaching your full potential in what God is calling you to do? What's that thing? What's that idol? And immediately in my spirit, the Lord said, you are too comfortable. You're too comfortable. I tell my parents now that I needed to move from their house because they made it really comfortable and really easy. I lived in an ivory tower. They, you know, didn't charge me rent. So I worked pretty hard as a hairstylist and I made pretty decent money. So I just lived my life. Like I did what I wanted to do. I went out with friends. I didn't save any money because I spent it all on everybody. But (laughs) that's beside the point. I was really comfortable. I had a good life. I clocked in, I clocked out, I went home, hung out with my family, went to church, hung out with my friends. After church, we'd go hang out more. Like, it was, it was a good, stereotypical young person life. And this idea of moving threatened that. And it's really easy to deny God, to deny God when, he, when what he's calling you to do threatens your comfort. So, after that night, again, I couldn't sleep. So, Sunday night I didn't sleep. Monday night I didn't sleep. My mom woke up in the middle of the night, and I was still downstairs, and she said, what's going on? I'm like, I have to do it. I have to go. I have to go. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. I don't have anything. I don't have any savings. I have nothing that can get me through any amount of time, but I have to go. And I think I just need to do it. I think I need to put in my two weeks notice and I need to go. So on Tuesday, I called Jeff. Or did I wait till Wednesday? No, I called you on Tuesday. 
Jeff. Okay. So, I'm moving. What? <laughs> when? What's your timeline? Oh, I'm putting my two weeks notice tomorrow. I'll be there on April 1st, and it's not an April Fool's joke. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what's happening next, but I'm going to be there. So in the month following the initial encounter with the Lord where God said, you're going to be their worship leader. I wanted to deny it ever happened. I wrestled with God. I wanted to do things anyway but his. Hence the opening my own salon when I had like a third of the clientele I needed to do that. But I knew that following God meant complete surrender of the one thing that I fought so hard to create myself. My comfort. Here's the problem. I created this comfort on my own and I had done this under the guise of my parents helping me get free from the bad guy when I had gotten divorced. So I just kind of continued to live in this this place of, well, that was really bad, so now I need to make up for it. But that wasn't the case. God told me that he's my comfort. And I didn't let him. I didn't let him be that. I wasn't running around, sleeping with a bunch of men, doing a bunch of crazy things. But was it still sin that I had taken matters into my own hands? Absolutely. So one of the things I have to say about idols is that idols are hollow logs. They're pretty empty. Our idols, no matter how beautiful and wholesome they may seem, eventually fail us. Something will come in and shake things up just enough for the illusion to fade. And our once so safe or fun or pleasurable gods will be shown for what they are, hollow logs, dead, rotting things that will never be a firm foundation for anything. And God gave me this really awesome passage. I'm, like, loving First Kings right now, guys. Just, it's just kind of, like, my, my jam. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory because this here will seem a little bit out of context. Um, First Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be reading from. Gosh, what is what is the what is the king? Jezebel's husband. I I read this. I made sure I knew this. Anyways, there is a king who's like the worst, most horrible king of Israel. He was the one who brought in the idols of Baal and said, "We're not going to serve the God of Israel anymore. Now this is going to be the God of Israel." And there was a prophet named Elijah. He had to hide for several years after he told the king that there would be a famine in the land and there would be a drought. He had to hide because the king and Jezebel, his lovely wife, were killing all of the prophets of God. All of the prophets of the God of Israel were to be put to death. This was a pretty horrific time in Israel for God's people. So the prophets of Baal, this false god, this idol that was made for the entire country to worship, 
There was like 450 of them. There's a lot of them, and there was one Elijah. So I'm just going to hop into this passage. There's a lot, so just bear with me. We're going to start in 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. All these people answered and said, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, and but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning to noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around on the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, I like Elijah. Elijah, he's sassy. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing or he is relieving himself. Is your god in the bathroom? Or he is on a long journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, of whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two sheaves of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. They had some pretty excellent idols. Beautiful craftsmanship 
they looked real great. They were big, and you could see them with your eyes. But Elijah's God, you couldn't see him. But who showed up? Who came with fire? The Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. The prophets of Baal were left a little empty, weren't they? Their God, that seemed so big and beautiful, was suddenly very hollow. I mean, he had just, you know, spent a very long time in the bathroom, so he couldn't answer them. He should be pretty empty. There's some good news in all of this. Our God is a firm foundation, living and tangible, real. He won't leave you empty. He won't leave you lacking. He won't leave you without comfort. Now, in the time since I've been in Oklahoma, God has never left me homeless. He's never left me jobless. He's never left me friendless. He's never left me hungry. No bills have gone unpaid. In Jesus' name. Big bills have been paid off because of my obedience. Like $12,000 of student loans just wiped away. I don't think Bale could have done that for me. And this blanket definitely couldn't have. God is good even when we're not. Even when we take him off the throne, he waits, ready, full of grace for us to just say, you know what? I was wrong. This is where you belong. So maybe God is calling you to lay down your idea of comfort and allow him to be your comfort. It might not be moving hundreds of miles away. It might not be selling all of your possessions and living out of your car and becoming a traveling evangelist or whatever. It might be something seemingly smaller. It's not smaller in the kingdom. I'm just going to tell you that. It might be something like going back to school or applying for that job that you feel unqualified for or raising your hands in worship. Stopping to talk about Jesus with a stranger or praying for somebody in a public space. They're little things in our minds, but they're big in the kingdom because if God is calling you to do it, then you should do it. When we allow God to be our comfort, he goes above and beyond what we could imagine. When God came through for Elijah, he didn't just go, he didn't just do the basic version of the impossible. He went above and beyond. That was 12 jars, 12 jars of water. And I don't think they were little jars of water, little mason jars. No, big old jugs. He said, keep pouring water. Keep pouring off water on this burnt offering. I don't know about you, but water kind of puts out fire. When wood is too damp, it doesn't ignite because it can't catch fire. But God isn't a basic God. He's a God who answers by fire and will lick up every last bit of water. He'll do the absolute most impossible things. He did it for them, and he'll do it for us. 
And that's where I'm stopping. So a lot was just said there in a pretty powerful way, Alana. Great job. Obedience is huge. Isn't it interesting the scripture says that God of us desires obedience, not sacrifice. But yet to obey is oftentimes a sacrifice. Um, I've got a really good message prepared here. But I don't want to go there right now. I was going to talk about what happens, how Jesus meets us when we get out of our comfort zone. It's a great message. Maybe I'll preach it next week. Maybe if you can, come back next week. But I want to share just a couple of things real quick and wrap this up because we've already uh, gone long, but I think it's okay. I think it's a-okay to go a little bit long today. Think about making some changes. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to stand in front of you and say, okay, this, you gotta, uh, things could be in line and be doing really well. <clears throat> but if you will, go with me to 1 Corinthians 2.9. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to get out of what's written. My pages will turn. 1 Corinthians 2.9. You're not going to find it up there. You may have to open up your apps on your phones or just listen to me closely. Paul here to the church of Corinth, he says, as it is written. I think it's clear to say that what's written in here is infallible. What's written in here will not change in and of itself. It will change us. But when it says it is written, there's something that's significant that we need to see. Now, think about this in the element of stepping into the best that God has for you. He says, it is written, what, I, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of, a, of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. See, Alana had no idea what she was coming to. You, you could see what worship leader looked like, but you couldn't see what God had in mind. Because he's still revealing that. None of us in here can put our finger on the exact plan we we might pursue. We're going to go towards. He's illuminating our next step, but I don't think any one of us can truly put our finger on his exact plan for our lives. And this message today seems to be uh, geared towards somebody that might be uh, either far away from God or desiring a little more of God, but hasn't attained whatever. But I'm convinced with everything as I'm standing here talking to you that this message isn't for just the person far away from God. It's not just for the message of the person or for the person. It's not just the message for the person that's seeking more of God. I think it's for every one of us in every station and every place that we are in our lives because the moment we quit changing, the more we quit pursuing God is the moment we quit following there's a, there's a significant thing. And so he's saying, what is your, and, and there's been a lot of cliches about the year of 2020 being the year of clear vision. And I'm convinced that 2020 is what we consider perfect vision. But what God considers perfect vision is that which we cannot see. It requires a complete and total trust in him. Alana had no job to come to. Matter of fact, it took you a minute to get a job. Thank you. It took you a minute to get a job. She got one, and God provided, miraculous, and God's still providing. And I know uh, you're facing some things this year uh, that are causing you to have to trust God even more in the realm of provision, but he's 
proven it before. And he's saying, you're going to go into a realm of things that you haven't seen because if you trust me, the things that you don't see is perfect vision. You see, if I can lay my hands on it, if I can make it happen, if I can see it, it's not big enough for God to do it. But if I can imagine, the Bible said we talked about this last week in Ephesians, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. So even if you can imagine it, God wants to do bigger in your life. And Alana, as you were talking, I uh, thought of the church of Laodicea. Now, we, we tend to talk about this message in the book of Revelation as a, as a you're not pursuing God, you're just kind of comfortable. And so I, I preached the message to youth, youth when I was a youth pastor, don't be God vomit. So let me explain that scripture to you here in just a second. This is unto the angel. This is a revelation. Abigail, this, none of this is going to be left in there. So you can just go to the title slide and leave it alone. Oh, you've already done it. I'm not looking behind me. Uh, revelation chapter 3, verse 14. He says, to the church, uh, to the angel of the church and Laodicea, write the words and amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know what's comfortable for you. Now, it doesn't say that. I might be putting a little bit of license in there, poetic license in there. But it says, I know your works. And you are neither cold nor hot. You are neither um, pursuing out. This cold doesn't mean removed. It just means you're not pursuing with uh, passion one thing or another. You're, you're neither not following me well, nor are you following me well. You're, you're mediocre in the middle. You are just comfortable. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. So I will, and this is the God vomit point, I will spit you out of my mouth. And this isn't just a hapatui. This is a full evacuation of the contents of your internal being. Spit. How's that? You know, I will spit you out of my mouth. And then listen to this. In, and just in context, and everything that we've talked about today, in our worship in this place today, uh, discovering who we are in Christ, in the great moments of, of what uh, Alana has described in her last year, almost. For you say... I am rich. Does this not sound like this man that we started this whole message about? You say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched. Sorry, I'm trying to really edify and lift people up in the place today. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. On the outside, I've got everything. And he's saying, but on the inside, you are vulnerable. On the inside, you contain Nothing of value on, on your own efforts. I, I think better put, your own efforts have no value to God. What has value to God is your desire to pursue that unimaginable side of God. And so he shows them what that looks like. What a, what a powerful thing. He says, but I counsel you. And come sit down, lay on my chair. Tell me all of your accomplishments and everything, but... I don't want to just leave you thinking you're nothing, you're worthless, you're hopeless. I want to counsel you where the source is. Think about this, where the source is, where we find that stepping out. He says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich and garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness. It may not be seen. Think about this. Buy from me that purification process. 
Buy for me what makes you right and valuable and let me cover you in who I am. And I could talk, I don't have time today to talk about what this garment, this robe of righteousness really is and putting on Jesus Christ and that he is the one uh, that makes us right in the eyes of God. Nothing that we do, we can't earn it. We can't move out of state uh, to pursue him, to earn his love, to earn even being right. Nothing that you did over the last year is righteous. Sorry. But he is righteous in everything. And he covers us. And when God looks at us, when we've bought from him gold refined in the fire, and we've clothed him from this, with this garment that he's talking about, when God looks at us, he looks at Jesus upon us. Oh, I'd love to go into the next 30-minute message that I have written. And maybe I said we'll talk about it. Maybe I'll do it this week. Maybe I'll, I don't know, we'll figure that out. When God talks about salve, to, or however you say that word, to anoint your eyes that you may see. Oh, let me really see God. That's that 2020 vision. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, right? No man can comprehend. But in this, I, I, I'm buying wealth that you've provided. I'm finding righteousness that only comes from you. I step into an anointed place that my eyes might see beyond the the. The right here, Paul talks about, I look in a mirror dimly. He's saying, I'm making that, that mirror a clear picture perfect of what I'm doing in your life right now. And in this room today, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. I'm going to stop right there with Scripture. All he's telling you to do today, submit, let him. That seems so hard. He's saying, I've got something so much better for you. Get out of your comfort. Step into what I have for you, and I promise you, you, won't, you might be uncomfortable, but you won't die. You might be a, a, a little out of your realm of security, but you'll survive. And more than survive, you'll thrive. That's really what this is. We could have said, step outside your comfort zone, dot, 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 thrive. Do we want to thrive? That's what I want. So he's calling you. You may, you may be in this room today and you may say, you know, I, I, I really don't understand some of what's been talked about today. All I know is I understand that God has more for me. All I understand is that God has a plan and a purpose for me. And I see that and What I've been doing isn't necessarily his plan and his purpose. Or maybe I've I've been living his plan and his purpose, but it's it's now time to take it to that no eye has seen. I'm really good at doing what I do, and I can do it well. I I Listen, I think I'm a pretty good preacher, but I can tell you without the anointing, without the presence of God, there are only empty words that fall from my mouth. And, And so I find myself today saying, God, I have for too long been doing things in and of my own effort, and it's time now today, God, to step into the the promise, to step into the calling, to step into the realm of the unknown that, God, you've called me to. And I can stand up here and I can say, God, moved me from a very comfortable life, a very good job as a, as a pastor at another church, making great money to, and a, a, a very a decent-sized church with great facilities. And I took my family and I moved them away from their friends and their school. And I moved my wife away from her parents and her sister and her support group. Even that, still comfortable. 
I can move my family. And I can support and supply and provide. God's saying, just let me do what I do. Step out of the idol of comfort. Listen, I could simply put it, the idol of comfort is the sin that is limiting God in my life. When we think of sin, I mentioned last week, we think of big ones, right? Murder, adultery, flipping someone off because they cut you off, anger. But today in this room, he's asking for a repentance upon you. I can't repent for you. I can't force you. I, I can't stand behind you. I can't point fingers. I can't get it in your face or your face and say, this is the problem. That's not my job. The Holy Spirit begins to show you those things. And he might say today that, to, uh, that, that really your repentance is simply, I choose to follow you, God. I choose to make Jesus my king. That's a huge step out of a comfort zone. He may be, um, I, I, he's speaking. Listen to him. Lana talked about an audible yet small voice. Maybe it's just a nudge, a thought, an idea. Maybe your heart's beating in your chest. And, and, and that's God just demonstrating that what you're thinking is probably right. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.